0: Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash settingedge. That's audibletrial.com slash settingedge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash settingedge. edge.
1: Any of this Set in the Edge Podcast, I'm Justice Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at jumosq. I'm here with my co-host Charles McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at four. Herbert, say what's up, people.
0: Chuck, what's up? We have a, a mailbag special for you guys because the NFL blessed us. What Was that yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. I, yeah, yeah, it was yesterday. So today's Tuesday. Uh, if you're listening on, if you listen on another day, today's Tuesday, and yesterday, the NFL blessed us by allowing Indominus Sue and Aaron Donald to combine forces uh, in L.A. And we just kind of decided, let's just do a mailbag about Rams' questions for the most part uh, in terms of how this changes their outlook for the season. And, it, you know, it doesn't really have any future impact on them because they had $30 million of cap space this year uh sue is well gonna a lot of
1: a... it's coming off of the books too like next year i think they have like a hundred million dollars to spend in cap space yeah so like they're super flexible
0: yeah that's i mean it's gonna be awesome uh just this season i also kind of like sue taking this new rick rivas approach where you're just gonna be a mercenary and cash in every year or so uh that's definitely how i would do if i was an elite player but just like based on on the field stuff this is gonna be really really fun to watch um before we get
1: into this since you brought up mercenary uh okay two things one i just looked it up the rams have the second most amount of cap space next year with uh 97 million dollars uh that's 30 million dollars more than the third best team and then two uh since you were talking about mercenaries so drew Brees signed that two-year extension right but they like moved around a lot of dead cap to have to deal with it uh guess how much how much is uh his uh cap hit is gonna be next year in 2019 uh, i have no idea He's going to have like a $33 million cap hit next year in a contract season. He's just going to forever just keep signing
0: extensions with the Saints while they kick back money, man. I, hope, I mean, actually, no, I let about to say I hope they win a the Super Bowl in the time, but I don't because I hate the Saints. So. <laughs> let me rescind that statement real quick. Uh, do we want to laugh at the Dolphins first before we hit these mailbag questions?
1: Yeah, so uh, a lot of moves that they've made haven't really made sense this year. So I understand um the indomitian sue like you need to not pay him you know a 26 million dollar cap hit uh but that was your choice not only was that a contract that they signed him to they restructured it to make it that specifically and that doesn't make a lot of sense to me um he was june 1st which is basically uh his prorated signing bonus for this year will count against the cap and the rest will count next year against the cap. So they're going to end up paying him, I think it's something close to like $7 million next year or this year in terms of uh, dead cap. And then like $14 million in 2019. Um, but the issue is when you June first, the guy you don't get to use the money. Like you have to carry his salary until June 1st against your cap. So it's not even like the Miami dolphins can really go out and sign anyone. Like this money is extension money. And it's not like they have a bunch of young guys that, uh, are like gonna need extensions next year, and in the meantime, you're paying Who more against your cap than the, you know the Los Angeles Rams are, and you're also paying Robert Quinn, who you traded a pick for, more than Indomikansu Who's getting uh, with the Rams, which like just makes absolutely no fucking sense.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, they're just like we were talking about it before we started recording. They're just a team that always thinks they're closer than they are. Now you're starting to see like the cap ramifications of that, and I, I really don't know what they're gonna do this upcoming season. I don't. I imagine it, it won't be very pretty, just because you know you have Tannehill and Gacy and maybe the most average receiving court possibly assembled with Albert Wilson, Devontae Parker, Danny Amendola, Jakeen Grant, and Kenny Stills. So I I I can't imagine any situation where. I mean, the Dolphins are competing for a playoff spot. And every time, like, I think about the Dolphins and the Jets, like, you see what Todd Bull said today, where he said, uh, Yeah, was, they're moving up. They moved up to three because they have their eye on six to seven guys. Yeah, and they had the sixth pick in the draft. So, I mean, obviously, it's a smokescreen, but you couldn't come up with anything better than that. So, like, when you look at. No one's, no one's going to hold these people accountable. Right, like, <laughs> of, of course. But, like, the Patriots, they just have to laugh like every time they get to this time of year where all these teams are trying to play hurry up and catch up and they're just so far ahead of everyone in their division it's just stupid
1: yeah i was uh i did i was looking at nfc win totals yesterday and i think that the vikings and packers might end up having the highest lines for win totals just because their afc opponents are you know you get the jets you get the dolphins you get the buffalo bills and they uh they're also playing the nfc west and the worst team by far in the nfc right now is arizona so it's like oh my god
0: they're playing the nfc west yeah dude can you imagine what donald and sue are gonna do to that offensive line
1: (laughs) it's gonna be ridiculous so let's go through i just want a yes no on if these players are or aren't above average these are all the players on the miami dolphins roster right now that are taking up more than three percent of their salary cap okay so, Ndamukong Suu, who they're paying 15.7% of their cap Is going to Ndamukong Suu until June 1st um, We're not counting him uh, Robert Quinn uh, Wait, what'd you, what'd you say? You went out for a second Is, is, is he or isn't he an above average player? For this uh, position, Robert Quinn Starter I, I, I think he's about average now, right? No, nah, he, got, he got worse the last three years I, w- I would disagree, but we're moving on next one uh, Andre Branch uh, Not good Kenny Stills, okay, he's decent. Chico Alonso, bad. Uh, Juwan James, below average. Ryan Tannehill, average. Cameron Wake, good, really good. Uh,
0: Danny Amendola, pretty average. Daniel Kilgore, awful. I I just I actually watched I uh, I was I I was watching Brandon Fusco when the Falcons signed him from the Forty ers in. The only takeaway I had, like the biggest takeaway I had, besides Fusco's, like what, he's whatever he's solid, but Kilgore he just gets his ass kicked like repeatedly, like against guys that aren't even that good. So I I, I didn't understand that trade, and we were like we like I just said before we were talking about it on air. Uh, that was a clear case of John Lynch making, realizing he made a mistake because he signed Weston Richburg and then like the day the next day he shipped Kilgore out of. Uh, San Francisco to Miami, so I I really just don't understand like their roster construction is just a mess.
1: Yeah, I mean, so we went through we went through those names. Those are the highest paid guys on the Dolphins right now, and the best thing that we could say was Kenny Stills pretty good.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <Kenny> St- <laughs> like, this, te- Can- this team is going to be really bad. I think I really do think that probably just looking at it right now, as far as like the marked teams where you're like, oh, we got them at home, we're probably going to win by multiple scores. It's an easy win. It's got to be the three non-Patriots AFC East teams and then the Arizona Cardinals.
0: Yep. Uh, actually, before we hit these mailbag questions, we did get a piece of news today from the NFL that I think is going to be interesting to talk about since we've both played and coached a bit. Uh, new NFL rule passed. Lowering the head to initiate contact with the helmet is a foul now, which I think is going to be pretty, pretty... An ejection. Just, yeah, an, an ejection. ejection. Non-reviewed ejection. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the college football targeting rule uh, I, I think it's good for player safety I just kind of wish that maybe they made a compromise somewhere to, I, I, it's just going to be a lot of penalties and I don't know how you speed up the game when you're going to be calling these a lot because I, I imagine we're going to get a ton of these penalties this year Yeah, I, would, I really wouldn't
1: have an issue with it at all if it wasn't for like the, the game flow thing It's obviously going to be good for people because I think, we talked about this before too where um, I think Problem, problematic alert is probably about to happen real quick. Um, When people talk, when people talk about high school football concussions, um, I don't think that people necessarily realize that the level of hits that kids at that that level are taking are different than, you know, even college football, right? The drastic step up from the violence that happens at the high school level compared to college football. But the one thing that I was always personally super worried about as a coach was the heads up tackling and the heads up lead blocking like if you ever had um a fullback or something like lead block into the a gap and ha- have him drop his head that freaked me the fuck out and that's why i always thought that talking about neck injuries was always r- relative to like concussions and stuff right was not talked about nearly enough and then the shazier thing happened and i'm like that's exactly what i was talking about guys i think that really helps that and i think You know, if that happens, if these rules start getting passed at lower levels, I think that makes a lot more of an impact. Um, But yeah, it's going to be hard for like game flow and everything like that. Like running is going to be really hard now because running right now, um, if you look at pro football reference, only four run games in the entire league were actually valuable in like a positive points expected way. Like, teams are just running the ball way too often in the NFL already. Um, NFL passing has been skyrocketing in terms of efficiency uh, since 2003. I think the difference between 2003 and 2004 in terms of passing efficiency was wider than the difference than 2003 and 1979. Like, they made more of a jump with that that, that, – what was it? Defensive pass interference – enforcement rules basically in one year than the past two and a half decades of football did in, in passing efficiency and it's only been rising since so i think this like if if it gets enforced in the running game as often on offense as it should be on defense um, then i think it's just gonna dismantle you know kind of what we think of the nfl running game because getting like a 15 yard penalty and an ejection for a three yard run that everyone knows is already less efficient than a pass that that seems like really heavy-handed
0: yeah and it it, we were talking about with uh, some of our jacks pals earlier that that rule almost made leonard fournette like obsolete
1: yeah like I, i actually was looking through um i was looking through some i just typed into pro football reference and i was like seven-plus-yard plays that Leonard Fournette was involved in just to see, like, how many of those you could probably call an ejection on. And there were a couple, and I only watched – it was, like, one per game. But if you get ejected once a game, you're out that once a game. Um, What I did notice, though – you know how people really hate the the diving touchdown rule? Yeah. Because they're, like, it de-incentivizes basically, like, trying to get to that touchdown. Dude, this – this helmet-to-helmet, helmet, uh, this helmet, what is it, Hel- dropping helmet targeting, basically? Yeah. This rule is going to be strictly enforced at the goal line. Like, it, it will probably be called at the goal line more than any other spot on the field. So, it's, like, the worst thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, in terms of what people want to see, um, it's pretty bad because I think people don't want that whole... Basically, to have to second guess the celebration of a touchdown, right? Right. I don't think people want that at all. They don't want longer games. Um, But in terms of player safety, like it's super hard to make the claim that this is going to help people. I think this uh, probably getting rid of kickoffs and then uh, what's the other one? Uh, Blocking with your hands, hands first uh, in space. I think those are probably the three easiest rules that the NFL can make even, you know, for player safety, even if it's going to slow down the game.
0: Yep, um, I'm locks up with you there. So uh, let's move on to the mailback questions. We have uh, a lot since that's really all we're doing today. So let's just jump right in. First one, first one is from Water, at Man of Water, uh, 3615. If you don't follow him, he is uh, quite the trip on Twitter, to say the least. Uh, how would you attack the Rams' defense? What, de- what weaknesses do they have, if any? Well, I think the biggest weaknesses right now are inside linebacker and edge, right? But... I- I'm not too <laughs> uh, I'm not really yeah, too concerned to about outside linebacker. yeah, I'm not really too concerned about like off-ball linebackers in that defense when you can roll out Sue, Brockers and Donald on any given play. I'm not too concerned about that, but I do think that edge is probably where they have to go in the first round unless they end up trading that pick for like Odell Beckham or something.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um cuz right now their starting outside linebackers are like Samson Ibukam, who was not a combine invite. It was drafted in the 4th round last year. And then, like, Matt Longacre, I think, yeah, who, like, I think I think he got, like, an original round tender or something because he was an undrafted free agent. So, to say the least, the Rams probably need more pass rushing talent than any team in the league other than the Jets, right? And then the only team that's even, like, really close after that is probably, like, Pittsburgh if they're all the way out on Bud Dupree. Um, so, like, I, I think they're pretty easily, you know, one of the two teams that need a pass rusher the most in this class, uh, figuring out what the Jets do is going to be weird too, because they basically they pick what third, yeah, and then they don't pick again until the sixties. And if you know anything about pass rushers in the sixties, uh, there's, there's not a lot of good ones that come from that range. So that'll be interesting. I think if I were like trying to attack this Rams defense, what can you even do to make to emphasize edge play in a way where pass rushing doesn't matter? Because I think they're still going to be able to get to the quarterback, right? Oh, yeah. With those interior defensive linemen. Like, I think you can look back at, like, the Jets when they had Sheldon Richardson and uh, Leonard Williams and stuff. They were still able to get back to the passer, even if it wasn't coming from their edge rushers, right? So I think that's still going to translate. So, what are we talking about? Like, running back tosses? Like I said, uh, what was it? 28 of the NFL's running games were of negative influence on their teams this past year. So. Sure, run outside. That's exactly what we want you to do in 2018.
0: Yeah, and the thing that people were talking about, oh, well, just run outside zone on them. Well, okay, you still got either Aaron <laughs> Donald or... That's, a, that's, like a, that's still a one-on-one...
1: Like, the most important block on that is still a one-on-one block between a right tackle who's probably 300-plus pounds against an outside linebacker who, for them, is going to be 250. Yeah. And with having to win the athletic battle there before you hit the sideline. Or even okay, then, sure.
0: you, know, you, you still have... Either in Sue blowing it up front side or Aaron Donald chasing it backside, like those defensive yeah. tackles, they're going to cause a lot of problems on outside zone. And you know, if you're if you're thinking, okay, how are we going to attack the Rams' outside zones and screens? Like if that's all you got, you you already lost. You know, uh, that wouldn't scare me yeah. at all. Uh, they're they're
1: going to be fine. I think I think the stuff where people are like, hey, they need an outside linebacker is warranted, but like, hey, their defense is in trouble. No, no that's no, no, that's
0: no, that's no. not close to the truth. They still have, a, like, a, an amazing secondary. Uh, Peters, Tlaib. Uh, they got, Sam Shields is, like, their CB4 right now. Yeah, and then you got a really good safety deal on John Johnson and the Marcus Joyner. So uh, you got really all the important spots except for edge rushers locked down with very good players. So I, I really wouldn't be too concerned at all or I wouldn't overthink it if I was a team that had to play the Rams this year you know their defense is going to be ferocious they got an awesome defensive coordinator and just when you think about it they can roll out a bare front uh, so, so for those of you don't know a bare front is a nose tackle with two three techniques you can roll out a bare front with like michael brockers at the nose aaron donald and sue flanking at the threes and then your dt four is dom easley so who's still even though he, he's been hurt a lot when he's on the field he can still produce for you so that that defensive line is just it's just it's disgusting i don't really know any other way to put it
1: yeah and especially with teams playing nickel so often uh michael brockers and dominic Easley as your nickel your, or your like second line of the de- interior defensive line depth chart is like probably the craziest thing we've ever seen in the nfl if they stay healthy um i think it was next gen stats last year not not this last year but the year before that right dominic easy missed the entire last season but before that even as a rotational guy um they ranked defensive tackles in terms of how close that they were to quarterbacks when the quarterbacks threw the ball because they have those microchips and stuff right and number one was obviously like, Dominic Easley, um, three through five was, like, Geno Atkins, Fletcher Cox, and, like, Mike Daniels, which you would expect, right? It's, like, all pressure guys. Um, number two – or number one was Aaron Donald. Number two was Dominic Easley. Like, that's how crazy he is at getting after the quarterback when he is healthy. Um, we just really had like, he's, he's the one that kind of got away. Like, if we're talking about guys, like, the best who never was, like, Dominic Easley defensive tackle is, like, super
0: high on that list. Um, if he's healthy, that's fucking crazy yeah uh next question from our good pal Danny Kelly at Danny b Kelly works for the ringer uh question are two dominant interior guys better than two dominant edge guys yeah um, I, I, I would lean yes just because you you I mean you're detonating the offensive line from me inside every single play or you have a chance to every single play i think it's a so this is what i would say um
1: i'm not sure if two dominant interior guys are necessarily better than two dominant edge guys but if i were building a team and like i i had to lay out a plan and execute it i think getting two dominant interior guys is a lot easier than two dominant edge guys yeah
0: for sure and then
1: like i think i think you can get guys like even guys like javon hargrave right Right. Who was like a third round pick like you can't find edge rushers who are the caliber of you know the the relative caliber of those interior defensive guys you know on day two so yeah. I think I think getting like Fletcher Cox, guys like that. Those guys were drafted in the teens, right? Yeah. Like, edge rushers, edge rushers. If you're talking about picking anything past like 20, your best shot, other than guys like uh, Justin Houston, who had like off-field issues, right, are, is like Clay Matthews and like Chandler Jones. So I don't know; those guys are fine, but I think you can find interior guys. Uh, Grady Jarrett, who's in the fourth round. Like I think you can Fifth find those guys. Either. Was he? Yeah. Fuck the NFL. Um, yeah, I, I think it's easier to find interior guys than edge guys, so I would lean building toward grabbing interior guys rather than edge guys. But I think edge guys are probably as equally important as interior guys.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Even when you just look at guys who are producing around the league, like kwan Short was a day two pick. Uh, Mike
1: Daniels, Geno Atkins, all those guys, man. Yeah, like Brandy Aaron Williams Donald was taken twelve.
0: You know, there, there's a lot of good guys who. Who, or a lot of good defensive tackles who kind of slip through the cracks uh, in the NFL. And I mean, we've talked about that before. Like, the NFL is kind of looking for the wrong things at times. But uh, like you said, it's definitely easier to find uh, two dominant interior guys than it is to find two dominant edge guys. And, you know, I, I kind of lean just having Sue and Donald over – I mean, who would be the last, like, dope edge duo? Would it be uh, Vaughn and Demarcus Ware?
1: Uh, what do you think of the guys in Minnesota or, like, um, I guess Seattle when they had guys together, right? Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, and uh, Frank Clark. I guess that's three guys, though. Um, I don't know. Like, the other the other dominant, like, when you think of, like, dominant guys who were, like, both guys got double-digit sacks, it's, like, Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden.
0: Yeah, that's a really underrated duo uh, in the league. I guess it's because no one watches the Cardinals, but...
1: Well, uh, Marcus, Marcus Golden was hurt, too, last
0: year. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I, I would lean, personally, would lean to dominant Interior guys. Uh, Timmy me, me, Jernigan and Fletcher Cox made a very large difference for the Philadelphia oh, Eagles. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to a question about them a little bit later. Uh, the next question from Roy Bennett at Thrive Roy. If you're another NFC West team, do you react to the Sue Donald Perry and change your recruitment plans accordingly or stick to the same strategy you had? Well, the thing with the NFC West is every single team needs offensive line except for the Rams. Like the Cardinals, 49ers, and the Seahawks for sure, they all need offensive linemen. So I don't think this changes any of their plans. And We've, we've at least seen the 49ers try to rectify that with uh, the signing of Weston Richburg, and they'll get Trent Brown next year, back next they, year. They, so.
1: picked up, they picked up Jonathan Cooper too. Um, early first-round pick, uh, or not early first-round pick, late first-round pick Josh Garnett on the inside. Uh, Arizona is already spending money on Mikey Opotty, who's kind of up and down at this point in his career, but they did just give uh Justin Pugh a massive contract too. So I, I think you could look at these teams and say basically everyone other than Seattle is spending, you know, money and assets on interior offensive line uh already, even
0: if, you know, maybe they aren't that good at it. Yeah. Uh so you know, the NFC West they had a pretty big offensive line problem coming into the off season, so I don't really think this changes their strategy at all i i just do know that russell wilson should probably take out life insurance policy before every rams game or just before the season uh, in general.
1: so let, let's let's talk about this other than Doug baldwin who's the best non-russell wilson player on the seahawks offense
0: mm. shit we might
1: be no. Uh, we bobby wagner and stuff is just still there yeah Never mind. i could uh, say the whole team and i was like no nah, they got linebackers i guess
0: yeah uh on offense would it be dwayne brown it would have to be. Yeah. And Dwayne
1: Brown kind of even had it rough once he got traded there. So. Yeah.
0: Because I, I think the thing that we've seen with the Seahawks is that one offensive lineman is not going to change a comically bad unit. It kind of no. takes a village. But uh, he's probably a second best player outside of Duck Baldwin, I guess. R.I.P. Russ. Yep. Uh, next question from no longer sad at sad Niners fan. How do our Niners game plan for the Rams, or more specifically, what's Kyle's plan of attack on offense? Well, I think Jarek McKinnon's going to be huge, right, in terms of trying to get mismatches on the inside linebackers. Uh little not, chess piece. Yeah, I'm not really sure if their receivers pose any threat to the Rams' cornerbacks right now, so it's, it's got to be heavy McKinnon, right? I would guess so.
1: Yeah, I, I would guess so. You know what was the weird thing? Uh, I was looking at guys targets inside the 10 okay because I've been doing all this these numbers about There was a big college football data dump and I was looking through and it ended up being like half of college football's touchdowns are between the 10 and 11 yard line um the same thing goes for the NFL between 9 and 10 yards basically is the average touchdown length um do you know who like got a ton of receptions at the goal line for the San Francisco 49ers last year uh Trent Taylor this guy named Kendrick Bourne. Oh, yo, he's, he can actually play a little bit. He's not bad. I, I haven't seen him, but he was a guy who, like, when you looked at the 49ers and you looked at who got their touches inside the 10, and I'm literally only doing this so I can make money off of, like, first touchdown scored props next year, because I'm super degenerate. Um, Kendrick Bourne was a guy who, like, stood out by far, and I was like, I don't know who that guy is. And he was, like, fifth in the NFL in his targets inside the 10.
0: I... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I, I like I've seen I've watched Kendrick Bourne play. I, I think he's actually pretty talented. But obviously, you know, Kendrick Bourne, Trent Taylor, Marquise Goodwin, that's that's not scaring. That's not scaring Wade Phillips and Akeem Tuley and Marcus Peters and those boys. You know. Yeah, I, I would assume that. I mean, Shanahan.
1: Honestly, it's not even necessarily the talent outside of like what he had in Atlanta, right? With like Julio, but the, just the way that he, just movable chess pieces and the way that he uses motion is just fucking. Prostrating,
0: yeah and mckinnon's gonna be a huge piece of that like i i 100 believe shanahan when he says that mckinnon is going to be a massive part of their offense i mean obviously you wouldn't even give him that contract if if that wasn't going to be the case and and just from a stylistic standpoint I, I think you know i'm not a fantasy guru or anything i'm actually horrible at fantasy football but like ppr leagues like mckinnon's got to be an rb1 right i would assume so yeah who yeah.
1: who does san francisco even have Behind him, right now, because uh, It's is yeah. And then like
0: Jeremy McNichols on the practice squad. And then uh, who was that guy? From, Joe Williams from Utah. Like those are the four backs on the. Rest oh yeah, side. yeah. How's the Peter King
1: special? Yeah, yeah. Every everyone thought, yeah, everyone thought that him and uh, Ruben Foster, because John Lynch was making decisions by the seat of his pants. I feel like we had a pot on this, like when it happened. Well, yeah, I was like, this is a cool story, but I feel like there's not a lot of stuff like tying this together like the process isn't very deep here
0: no and you know i don't i don't even think that's that abnormal for nfl teams like where they just impulsively end up drafting somebody but uh yeah so that's how your niners are our niners are san francisco 49ers my uncle kyle shanahan that's how they're gonna game plan for the rams i guess uh next question from david o'malley at the rom deter. better choice for the niners at nine roquan smith or harold landry are we going to have a fight here? No. I don't think okay. so. I'll take Landry, Harold, right?
1: Yeah, i would take Harold Landry. Um, he's he's athletic, man. He's, he's basically Jerry Hughes, like, on paper and on film. So I wouldn't worry too much about him. It'll be really interesting to see where he goes. Because um, I feel like edge rushers, in terms of draft stock, like, they're pretty volatile. Like, in terms of, like, guys who surprisingly got picked high, um, Bruce Irvin's a guy like that, right? who was kind of, like, thought of as, like, a second-round guy and that was picked, I think, like, 12th in 2012. Um, there was a guy in the league who told me that Vic Beasley had a better shot at going in the second round than going top 10 a week before the draft. And then oh, the God. Atlanta Falcons ended up drafting him, like, what was it, like, eighth, eighth or something yeah, like that? Eighth. That was when everyone thought that Shane Ray was going to go, like, top five or top 10. Um, so I feel like in terms of how how good the media is at judging how high guys go, um, I feel like edge rusher is pretty low on that list. And Landry is a guy who, by all means, looks like a guy who should be a top 10 edge rusher. So just because he's low in mock drafts doesn't mean that he can't go in that range.
0: Yeah, and I I don't know how you really justify spending back-to-back first-round picks on an off-ball linebacker. Uh, it, it, it would be a pretty silly waste of resources, but well,
1: this this would be this would be like their like fourth first round defensive end yeah, yeah on I'll, a rookie just, contract. I was too. just about to say that. Like it, it's kind of weird like they gotta if you're San Francisco you figure out a way how to trade Eric Armstead into the most value possible, right? Like I think that's the smartest move
0: that you can make if you're the San Francisco forty nine ers Yeah, and some teams will bite he's he's a he's a pretty decent player when he's healthy. He's good. He's good. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Uh
1: he's so, good. It's just you have if you have DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Harold Landry, and Solomon Thomas on your roster, you still have to start a nose tackle, which means one of those guys has to be on the bench, yeah. which means you could probably get more value for a hit first round pick, right? Relative to hit first round pick um, in a trade on a rookie deal than having a guy come off the bench, I think.
0: Yep. Uh, and I mean, I, I think Raquan is dope. I think, like, just on talent alone, he's, he's probably or has he's potentially the best player in the draft, but it's it's a hard sell two two back-to-back outside or two back-to-back off-ball linebackers uh in the first round i, I just don't really see that happening i i mean i i kind of hope that quentin Nelson is there for them at nine because that'd be like a slam dunk pick for them you know you you have a pretty solid offensive line with Richburg if he can get back to health trent brown uh nelson and then staley on the left tackle it's not it's not a bad line i don't think he's gonna be there um
1: one guy i want to i want to a okay, team that I want to peg with Roquan <clears throat> every time I look at the draft is Miami because they just got to get out of like that key, Like that. basically all their linebackers are either overdrafted or overpaid
0: yeah it, it, and then like we're still waiting on Raquan McMillan because he tore his ACL last year uh, so I mean ho- hopefully he can come back and bounce back and have a solid second season but yeah their linebackers are, are not looking great right now and that Kiko contract stinks he can't cover to save his life
1: no, Kiko Kiko allowed something like 800 yards. 800 yards as a linebacker last year. That's almost impossible to do, but
0: he did it. Congrats. Yeah, uh, yeah it's not
1: good.
0: Next question from at Jalen Muhammad. Why do people love Derek Nandi and Deron Payne? I don't see much to warrant all the hype. Uh, have you seen these guys? I've seen Payne. I, I've seen Nandi in flashes. I remember we were high on him. Like, what was it? two years ago maybe
1: two two years ago because i watched the fsu spring game while i was at a coaching clinic yeah
0: yeah uh i I mean he's solid he he didn't really like blow up the combine or anything, but he's no like a d3 dt3 probably yeah i would uh, when i graded him
1: out i had him as a backup rotational guy um he's kind of weird because he's basically a nose tackle in an under tackles body um so that kind of scares you a little bit um but i is there a lot of hype around natty I mean, Natty's probably – people are going second round with him. I think he's probably closer to like a fringe third, fourth round guy. But I don't think that's that big of a difference. Um, Theron Payne, I think we talked about him last
0: Yeah, podcast. last
1: week. Yeah, so he, he's a guy – if you watch FSU and the Georgia game, uh, he looks like a top ten pick. If you watch any other game, he looks like a day three guy. Uh, when he wants to, he has an amazing swim move and he's really strong. Uh, when he seems like he's disinterested, he just completely disappears. So he's a guy who I don't know if anyone can feel good about. The, like he is who he is. I can tell you who he is right now, but I can't tell you how to feel about him. Uh, like sturdy enough where like I know who he is going to be in three years.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I don't even know. Is he is paying a first round lock this year? Uh, he's being talked about like it. I know yeah. that
1: Tony Pauline had him like third on his draft board or something like that.
0: Oh no, wait, third overall or third DT? Like third, third, third overall. Mm. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a rough I mean, draft class. Yeah, you took, I mean, you
1: took the right the right year to take a, a year off, basically. Yeah, I mean, and Payne's had what I think five tackles for losses in three years, which is he had he had more in the Alabama game than in the rest of his senior year. Come the Georgia mind, yeah. game. Yeah, the Georgia yeah. game. That's uh what. Yeah,
0: so Nandi Payne. Payne definitely has more upside. I think Nandi's probably better for you. Or he might he might be better for you right now. I'm not I'm not really sure on that one, but I, I think just the way that the narratives are being discussed, you'd probably rather have Nandi at his price than Payne at his price, you know?
1: Uh yeah, for sure. Like I probably if I'm if I'm a hypothetical general manager of an NFL team where I have no context of who's on the roster or on the coaching staff uh, I'm probably still out on Deron Payne, right, for what he's going at right now. I might be around for Natty, because I, I I just think Natty's going to slip in the draft compared to what he's being talked about, like a second-round guy right, right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right, next question from Philly's Birds at RR Eagles 20. Better front Rams or Eagles? I I think it's the Eagles still, yeah, because they have the depth that the Rams don't have on the edge. And the starters, too. Yeah, because I think – so. Fletcher Cox Brandon Graham
1: against Aaron Donald and uh and, and Sue that's pretty even but the jump from Timmy Jernigan to uh Michael Brockers is significant right and then Michael Bennett to uh whoever's the outside linebacker for the Los Angeles Rams the number one guy be it Samson evilvilcamp or Matt Longacre um that's a huge jump too and that's not including the bench guys like uh, Chris Long potentially coming off the bench didn't they sign a d tackle too
0: uh they signed hello Dinata
1: yeah yeah, just that guy hello Dinata um and then uh first round pick Derek Barnett, right like yeah it, that, it, it's pretty hard to go toe to toe with those guys or think of even because I think their' like pass rushing depth is like as good as, as Seattle's was like in 2013, but that's not even including the massive jump in talent that they had at defensive tackle. Like I don't understand why Philly doesn't think that they could just rush four and drop
0: seven every single time. Yeah, I mean that that defensive line is gonna be amazing to watch. Like you, you they're at a point where Nata, who I mean, he's obviously not what he used to be, but uh, I mean, if he's gonna come in and play like what ten, fifteen snaps a game for you, like that's perfect for him right now at his age. Like Der- Derek Barnett did. Pretty good last year
1: as a first-round rookie, right? He's probably the seventh best defensive lineman on that team. Yeah. After being a good first-round rookie,
0: that's crazy. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I mean, I'm. I feel bad for you know whoever is going to be. I guess Eli. Eli's going to get killed this year versus. Well,
1: yeah, because the the New York Giants lost something like fifty million dollars in interior offensive linemen this year.
0: Yeah, because they let uh, Rich Burden and Pugh walk. Yeah, and both of those guys signed massive deals. So, yeah, right, so we're, we're
1: talking about it, It's like the opposite of what we saw in the NFC West, where it's like, yeah, no, we're just going to spend money on tackle. We don't care about the inside. It's like, oh, man, you're going to get torn the fuck up because Michael Bennett kicks inside, too.
0: Yep. Uh, so just let's stick with the Giants real quick for a second. Where do they if they are committed to staying at two and they Aren't going to take a quarterback, which I mean, I think we both think is pretty silly. Uh, where do they go? Do they take Quentin Nelson at two? Did, I think I don't think you can justify taking a guard at two when you have trouble on the board, right?
1: Um, I probably would take. See, so this is a weird thing. Uh, Kareem Martin is making more money right now than any backup veteran edge rusher. So uh, it seems like they've declared themselves like Kareem Martin is going to be our starter. Opposite of uh, Olivier Vernon. So I guess it would go to down to Quentin Nelson guard or Saquon Barkley, which people keep talking about because he was like born in the Bronx. But I really don't. It's a fucking running back, man.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, Saquon's going to be good. But too, like, because yeah, the thing with running backs is you can get a lot of guys who may not be as productive as saquon by himself but you can combine like two three guys and have a running game that can equal what and, Saquon and
1: like if, you. if if you really want we've talked about how salary cap really doesn't matter right it's only dead cap that really exists you can grab uh dion lewis finished the second half of the nfl season with the most rushing yards in the league you can grab a guy like that in free agency they're available in free agency um a guy like zach martin isn't gonna hit free agency as a given as a guard you know what i mean like oh, you can no, buy, buy running, you can buy running backs you can buy tight ends you can't necessarily buy like all-star guards um they just signed like we said uh last episode they just signed nate solder who's never made a pro bowl in his life to the largest offensive tackle contract because he was tackle one on the board last year we kind of saw the same thing happen with uh, Russell russell so like when guys hit free agency you have to pay a tax on them um Top running backs are available, top offensive lineman or not, period. Yeah, and who was the best rookie running back
0: last year? Kamara. Uh or Hunt. Kamara, yeah. I or was gonna Hunt. say Kamara both, or Hunt. Yeah. They're both third round picks. So <laughs> And then uh Aaron Jones, my son. Yeah, I just and what well, he was a, a sixth round pick, I wanna say. Aaron Jones, for yeah. sure, yeah. He was definitely, like, fifth or sixth rounder. So, you know, I, I just don't think you need to spend... And, I, you know, obviously, you know, it, it's hard to hit... It's still hard to hit on guys on day three, but you just don't... I just don't think you need to spend all that all that money or resources on a running back, even if Saquon is as good as advertised. Uh, so the next question from DNads at DNads. Uh, PJ Hall, Pro Day Thoughts. So I didn't know who PJ Hall was until yesterday but he is a defensive tackle for Sam Houston State and he posted some just absurd workout numbers at his pro day he's uh six feet and a half 308 pounds ran a four six seven forty which would put him in the 98th percentile per mock draftable for defensive tackles uh 118 inch broad jump which would put him again in the 98th percentile 38 inch vertical jump which would again put him in the 98th percent uh, 98th percentile and 36 bench reps which would put him in the 94th percentile. Uh, what thoughts do we have besides that's just like freakishly good. Uh, one that's really
1: good. Uh, two. I saw one of his games because he, I think there's only like one same Houston State game on YouTube. Um, can't imagine why. But I ended up watching that. I think he's pretty good, but I didn't know that he was he was gonna do that. I mean, a four a four seven at close to three ten is fucking crazy.
0: Yeah, that's 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 like equivalent. Right? Yeah, that's like equivalent to like Aaron Donald. Uh, so, yeah, I don't have any game thoughts on him. But uh, if, you know, I, I I guess just based on those numbers alone, you can't be upset if your team takes a swing on him on day three, right? Yeah, might uh, as
1: well, man. Like there, there's not like I said, I think you can find defensive tackles kind of across the board if you can, like, figure out what they do. Well,
0: yeah, uh, so maybe I'll dive into that if the Falcons end up drafting or signing him after the draft. Uh, the next question from Jared at Storm the Field. Is Matt Judon good, and is this info, 17 tackles for loss, is ac- accurate? He's a good player, right? For sure. Yeah, he's kind of one of the, the surprising
1: guys when I went through. and I, I didn't grade outside linebackers for NFL 1000, but I did grade uh, defense events, so I had to watch some of their like, five-tech guys, like uh, Carl Davis, right? And Matt, Matt Judon is a guy who did well enough to keep Tyus Bowser off the field. Who was a second-round pick and Tim Williams, who was a third-round pick last year? They basically got zero playing time um, because Judon was doing well opposite of uh, Suggs. So uh, that that's interesting that they got 18. Though I'm looking at uh, Pro Football Reference right now and tackles at at or behind the line, I see 11 and then eight sacks. So unless they combined them together, I don't know how they got to 18.
0: Yeah. Uh. So I don't really know if it's accurate. I feel like everyone. Well, no, but there shouldn't be a, a different standard for. Counting that, unless maybe you're just like attributing them differently when they arrive at the ball carry at the same time. I don't know. Yeah. For
1: for tackles for loss, tackles for loss are non sacks. Right. So like So it'd be like runs and then also like screen passes.
0: Yeah, and just to keep looking at this, uh, they they do this website teamrankings.com. They have Chandler Jones first with 28, Clowney second with 21. So I mean it definitely sounds like they're combining that, right?
1: Uh, You said Chandler Jones was number one with 28 tackles for losses. Yeah, it has to be, it has to be uh, combined because Chandler Jones had 12 tackles for a loss and then 17 sacks, according to pro football reference. So,
0: yeah, Uh, but Judon is definitely a good player and, you know, not surprised the Ravens, they they draft well on defense every year, but they still have no idea.
1: Loaded. So, so loaded. So like, I could tell you guys like Carl Davis, like they literally would only play like very specific. They'd be like third, third down rundowns, and like in the goal line situations. Like th- they had guys who were starting caliber who would only come on in certain spots, and he would only play five tech. And then they would have guys like, uh, who's the Michigan defensive tackle that they drafted? The under tackle, Willie t- Willie Henry. Yeah, like Willie Henry only played three tech. Like they don't have. It's it's not like a situation with like we've talked about like Carolina where their defensive tackles kind of have to do every single thing asked of a defensive tackle. They have guys who like, you're a three tech. You only have to play three tech. So I think that's really interesting. Cause I can't, we, we talk about like defensive tackle talent and like depth and stuff like that. But a lot of these guys like Sue, Sue and Donald are both three techs. Like there isn't teams that are so deep that they have guys who can only play one technique.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Cause I, I asked, uh, Ozzie some like, at his presser at the combine. Like, how are you guys so good at finding defensive tackles? He's like, I don't know. Uh, just the same way we're as bad as finding wide receivers. Like, okay, well, <laughs> no method to your madness, I guess.
1: Oz- Ozzie's this. Yeah. <laughs> good at good at D-line, uh, awful at receiver. Uh, I had Dorio Green Beckham as wide receiver one. Is he even on a team right now? Mm. He's not. I think he caught he, – because Doriel Green Beckham had the weirdest rookie year on earth, remember? Because he caught all those touchdowns, but they were all past, like, fades at the goal line, basically. And then they were just like, yeah, we're out.
0: And then he disappeared forever.
1: Yeah. It might be, like, a very bad person. So,
0: Next question from Paul Matthewson at Paul Mathewson. Should Sam Bradford just go ahead and put himself on IR now? I think we just need a one-word answer to this. Yes. Mike Glennon season. Oh, yeah. I forgot that he signed there. I think they're yeah, draft a quarterback in the first round.
1: Is there going to be a quarterback available? Because it seems like everyone else is going to trade up.
0: Unless they... I mean, I'm even starting to get the feeling... Unless it's Lamar. Unless it's Lamar. But even then, I'm starting to get the feeling that Lamar could could go before their pick.
1: They're picking at, thirteen. 13. Like or, like, okay. in that
0: range. Huh.
1: I, I mean, I would take Lamar that high, so... Yeah, sure. I wouldn't blame
0: anyone. Uh... And they got, maybe maybe uh, since they got a black head coach now, they'll, they'll pull a trigger on that. Uh, Byron, Byron Leftwich is the QB coach. The only,
1: he's the only black play calling offensive coordinator or quarterback coach in the league right now. Or no, the, the guy in Buffalo is still there. The guy who was like a wide receiver coach for like 50 years and then just switched to quarterbacks this past year. I don't know. But other, but other than him, I don't think there's a black play calling offensive coordinator or quarterback coach in the league. Um, the only head coach who's a black play caller on the offensive side of the ball is
0: Hugh Jackson. Uh, well, not I think, anymore, I think right? those. I think those things are facts. I don't know. Is
1: he not calling plays anymore? I mean, I'm pretty sure
0: Todd I... Haley's going to be calling plays now. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, that, that, <laughs> they're going to fight on the sideline regardless, I can guarantee you, like, at least once during the season. So I'm just excited to see, like, who they end up picking at one, which, I mean, I, I guess we're all going to say Darnold, but – Chris Mortensen did say they're still determining between Sam Darnold and Josh Allen, which I think for us is like the two guys we definitely would not pick number one, right? Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> like the, those are the two. I mean, unless you're a Mason Rudolph guy, right?
0: He's decent. He's a starter, I think.
1: Yeah. So those those are the guys who, like, I I think the other three quarterbacks are more interesting to me: uh, Baker Mayfield, Lamar
0: Jackson, Josh Rosen. Yeah. Uh. So, but regardless, it, it's going to be fun just to watch. Whoever, whichever quarterback they get, just kind of get pulled between like a tug back and forth between uh, Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson. And then you have Greg Williams running his angel defense with uh, the punt return safety on the other side. I just don't trust the Browns like, and I don't understand how anybody could.
1: I, I'm with you. I, I'm I'm for calling the Browns too because they're uh, they're making make they're basically like erasing the legacy of the original Browns. Yeah. Which was basically only in the American athlete, or what was it, All American Football Conference, or some shit like that. Yeah, we're uh, doing Otto Brown wrong. We're doing Otto Brown wrong by <laughs> or autogram wrong by letting these letting these bums wear a helmet that has no logo on it. I, I just can't
0: believe like how long I was just looking at it because uh, I'm working on this thing for uh, SB Nation where you know it's like it's a it's a fun little like draft terms project and I just ended up looking up. Like the Browns, uh, I guess, win loss record since 1999. They've had two winning seasons uh, in 2002 and then 2007 when Derek Anderson made the Pro Bowl. Like, how do you have two, two winning seasons in what, 20 years? I mean, we've seen teams that have been good, fallen off, and then rebuilded in the times that the Browns have just been awful for all that stretch. It's just remarkable.
1: Yeah, I would say Buffalo's probably close, and then like maybe like Miami. No, not Miami, because they had, like, the Ricky Williams years. Um, But, yeah, you have to be, like, extraordinarily bad a couple times. Like, the thing about the Browns, too, is, like, even, like, they had, like, when Mike Pettin was there, like, year one, they kind of had things going right, and then they, like, switched everything up and then just canned everyone.
0: Dude, like, the last time the Browns had a 10-win season, Joey Harrington, Byron Leftwich, and Chris Redman were the quarterbacks for the Falcons. It was a year after Vic went to jail. That's absurd. Vic is retired. He retired like th- almost 2 years ago. All all of those guys are retired. Yeah, all, like, they're all retired.
1: Leftwich might Leftwich might have like did did Leftwich So Leftwich was a first round quarterback, won a starting job, lost a starting job and ended up in Atlanta in between the Browns
0: having 10, 10 win seasons. It's unbelievable. <laughs> uh So yeah, uh next question from 4 silhouette yellow emojis at tweetless20 who are the regress and progress candidates for twenty eighteen? I am assuming he's talking about teams. Have you looked at this at all? Uh, yeah, I
1: think it. I think it's still the same thing. Um, the progression candidate this year is Cleveland Browns. They're gonna have more than zero wins. Hopefully, and then you know. uh, hopefully, yeah. Cross your fingers. And then the regression candidates are the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Carolina Panthers. Um, do you remember how many games the Carolina Panthers won last year? Uh, eleven, right? They won eleven games. I'm not sure how that's possible because I, I forgot about that until
0: yesterday when I was doing the the win loss uh, projections. It was just like um, Cam and their defensive line putting the team on their back. I forgot that they were in the playoffs. Yeah, they should. They like, could have won I, that game if Cam didn't have like you and me at receiver.
1: Yeah, I was I was looking at it and I th- my, basically the, the the thought process when I found out that the carolina panthers won 11 games was like holy shit i forgot that and then i was like wow that's the first like 11 win team to not make the playoffs since like the matt castle patriots that's super unlucky and then it was like wait they did play a playoff game that i completely forgot about and like will never remember at all like i can't remember one fact about that game
0: I uh, i just remember like was- what happened it was like the best Cam Newton game you'll ever see, and he just got repeatedly left down, let down by his receivers. It was honestly tragic to watch as someone who avidly, avidly hates the Saints. Uh, um, but, let, I'm going
1: to talk about these win totals real quick, okay? So right. I'm just going to list them out. Um, I only did the NFC, but I was going through. Basically, my the, my entire process for uh, doing win totals, and I went, what was it, 11-2-1 in win totals last year is uh we have we have that theory where close games basically even out to 500 right yeah so basically what i do is i just count all games that i think will have a line between seven points one way or the other as half a win and then i count games where i think a person should be a dog by more than a touchdown as zero and as a favorite by more than seven Mm -hmm. as a win um when what i ended up getting out in the nfc was uh Minnesota and Green Bay with 10. I don't think Green Bay is even that good of a team. But like I said, I think they lucked out with that schedule because I think they get uh, the Jets, the Cardinals, uh, the Dolphins, and the Bills, which are pretty easy layups. Uh, nine and a half, Philadelphia and Atlanta. Do, do do those make sense so far? Yeah. Philadelphia just ends up playing a really hard schedule. I think them, the Rams, and the Saints do. Um, I, I still think that the four teams that won the, the NFC – uh conferences are still the best teams right or the divisions yeah i I agree uh nine wins i got uh new orleans san francisco detroit eight and a half the rams and the seattle seahawks those make sense yep eight tampa dallas carolina seven the giants and the redskins six chicago and then four and a half all the way at the end of the pack the arizona cardinals
0: goodness Uh man, the NFC is so good this year. Like, there's really no point even watching AFC football into the Super Bowl. I feel like it's like
1: you can plug in Steelers, Patriots, like you've been able to, other than Peyton Manning for the last 15 years, and then like just just peeking in on Kansas City Chiefs and Houston Texans games just to see if Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson are developing.
0: Yeah, that's really like the only intrigue, I guess. Because I mean, I I think the biggest intrigues with the AFC, I guess, would be the AFC South quarterbacks minus Bortles, because you got Luck hopefully coming back. Mariota's got a new offensive coordinator, and you want to see if Waskin can pick up where he left off before he tore his ACL. Uh, mm-hmm. Mahomes, and is that it? Uh, the Browns. Yeah. Um, you can win more than one game?
1: <laughs> I, I I'm interested in seeing what Tyrod can do behind that offensive line and with those wide receivers. Um. I'm trying to think. Buffalo's not interesting. Miami's not interesting. The Jets aren't interesting, period. Right? And then what else do we got? We got the right. West. So it's like, are are the Chargers going to shoot themselves in the foot with this much talent on their team? Because I think the Chargers have gotten better, too. Yeah. Like, the Chargers get better every offseason. Somehow it ends up being, like, between, like, 6 and 10 and 9 and 7. Um, the Raiders aren't really interesting to me. Uh, I don't think the Broncos are really that interesting. So, Yeah. Like other other than like are the brown are the are the uh, chargers going to shoot themselves in the foot? I can't even think of another storyline that I'm interested in other than the Browns rebuild and the chaos of characters that are there right now.
0: Yeah, I I really got nothing. Uh, I I I don't know. It, they, I just wish some of these teams in the AFC would just get their shit together and, and be competitive. But you know, I, I guess we're still a decent ways away from that uh next question or the last question from our good pal bets at all 22 if you don't follow him you're missing out i mean just in terms of peak millennial football analysis Bets at all 22 you're dying because capitalism led you down a dark path of despair and you find yourself underneath a car what sub 250 pound prospect do you choose to lift your car off your body uh i don't Remember exactly how much he weighed at the combine, but I would go Hercules Matafa. just cause. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah.
1: The the thing that you have to worry about, about that is he doesn't have hands, right? So he doesn't use his hands, so we have no idea what he can do there. Um, damn. Well, shit. Maybe we end we end an agreement. We yeah. end up agreeing a lot. I feel like I remember we were at we were at some uh, we were at Vets and Mobile, and someone was asking us, like independently asked us. What was your best podcast? And we both said Damien Woody. Woody. And then they independently asked us what was our worst. And I said, You by yourself, asking Tony Tony Jefferson. That was if he likes birds or whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That was (laughs) like we ended up
1: agreeing a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, that's all we really got for episode 70 of Setting the Edge. We'll be back next week with uh, one of, I think, both of our favorite Twitter followers, Warren Sharp at SharpFootball
1: the uh the best over under is better on earth i've been told
0: yeah and he's got some really really cool uh graphics and you know he'll we'll be able to talk to him a lot about uh i really just want to pick his brain about like positional value and and stuff like that because i'm sure he has some good takes on that so we'll be back next week uh yeah see you guys later